0: Welcome into this episode of Farzcast. Farzine Basugian here with you. Uh, back again, second episode of the week. Uh, generally, we don't do two episodes this week, but uh, when you've got uh, a very special guest uh, like this gentleman coming up right here, I'll introduce in just a moment... Uh, we definitely can uh, make some room and do multiple podcasts per week. Facebook.com slash Farzee at farzy 21 on Twitter. That is the social media. You guys know the drill here. Uh, if you guys see the video version of the podcast, you can see right beside me uh, the man uh, to, my, to my right, but for most of you guys watching to your left, uh, he is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum right here in Kansas City. Also the host of the Black Diamonds podcast, just named, the uh podcast sports podcast of the year which is awesome Sirius XM does a fantastic job with their podcast so many great podcasts on there uh and I know that can be accessed on other outlets as well if you're not subscribed to Sirius XM but a lot of great content on there joining me right now Bob Kendrick Bob uh I've heard you speak uh, multiple times uh in public at uh certain events uh it, it really is an honor to have you I appreciate you making time for the uh, for the podcast today
1: Oh, man, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for for having me.
0: Well, I just want to touch on the podcast because I mentioned podcasts of the year. I'm about four episodes in and I'll be honest, I've never listened to a podcast like this where it's kind of like a like a docu-series podcast. And there's some commentary in there, a lot of fantastic interviews. And, And, you know, the first couple of episodes are not. About the actual like baseball games with the Negro Leagues, uh, especially the first two episodes talking about Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson and his again. backstory. I mean, that was really fantastic the way you guys broke that all down. Um, h- how did this podcast come about? Uh, what inspired you to want to wanna, uh, do this podcast?
1: Well, I don't know if it was necessarily me being inspired, as it was the insight of my friends over at SiriusXM Radio who had approached me on a couple of occasions about the notion that, well, we think you're a pretty good storyteller, and we think that these stories that a lot of baseball fans haven't heard before would make great content for a podcast, would you be interested? And I'm like, guys, I don't have time. You know, things are pretty busy here at the Negro Leagues Museum. So I never saw myself hosting a podcast, and they kept building the case And last year, I finally said, okay, let's give this a try. I had no idea what the heck I was getting myself into. But by the same token, I am extremely excited and proud of the reaction that this podcast has drawn from a new generation of baseball fans who are hearing these stories. Many of them hearing about the Negro Leagues in general for the first time, but certainly some of the insight to some of the stories that we've shared, you know, taking a deeper look at Jackie Robinson and why, as we say, he was chosen to be the first man to walk on the moon. Because when Jackie breaks the color barrier in Major League Baseball 75 years ago, this coming April the 15th, for Black folks, that was the kind of euphoria that was generated. It was very much equivalent to the way that this country reacted when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. And, and so we examined why he was the chosen one, because in all honesty, he wasn't the best player in the Negro Leagues, but he was the right player. And so that is what jump started our series way back in April of last year. And we ended up doing about 25, 26 different episodes uh, over what we broke down into two seasons. So now we'll be entering year two coming up this coming April and starting to lay the groundwork for what we hope will be another exciting season of telling these stories. But man, it's been amazing again to see the reaction and people are falling in love with the Negro Leagues through this podcast. But you know, I find it really interesting because storytelling is such a a prevalent part of the African-American experience really primarily because our stories had never been properly documented in the pages of American history books. So more times than not, your grandparents or your great-grandparents sat you down at their feet and then they told you these things. You know, they would sit you down and say, boy, let me tell you about these ball players you should have seen. You know, and that's kind of how we learn about ourselves. And so I find it so interesting that podcasts have become so increasingly popular but in essence, they're just long-form storytelling. And, and so it's been really interesting to share this insight with our followers and subscribers and to see their reactions to. And you know, now it's getting a little uh, unnerving because I can be in the museum giving a tour and someone will come over to me Say, so, oh, I knew that was you. I heard your voice.
0: <laughs> well, it, listen, you do a fantastic job with it. You and your team, you know, everyone, right. all the um, audio clips we hear on there, all the guest interviews. I mean, it, yeah. it, it really is well done. And, and I want to go back to what you were saying, because you talked about the younger generation. I feel like the Negro Leagues does not get discussed enough when it comes to sports history. And it's not just about, you know, picking up a, a baseball bat and playing, because there's a lot more – uh, beyond that. And like I said, you guys covered that so much in your first couple of episodes on the podcast. And um, this it, it, it kind of leads me to my next question. And I know this has been talked about a lot uh, about you. Uh, I, I I see your passion in wanting to tell this story. Why Why is it so important for you personally to be able to be able to tell the story to, I mean, not just younger generations, even older generations who may Absolutely. not be familiar
1: with this. Absolutely, because there's still a lot of people in this country who not only didn't know that a Negro lease existed, but certainly did not know that it existed to the magnitude in which it did. And for me, I found it to be fascinating when I got introduced to this story way back in 1993, 29 years ago when I stumbled into this, as a volunteer for this organization. And now in my case, I was a baseball fan. And I thought I knew a little bit about this game. And then, man, I quickly learned that I didn't know a doggone thing about this game because here was this entire chapter of baseball in Americana that I knew virtually nothing about. Yes, I knew the names Satchel Paige, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson. These are mainstream names. Most baseball fans have at least heard those names. Now, you may not know just how great they were, but you likely heard those names. But I had no idea about the breadth, the depth, the scope, the magnitude that this history represented both on and off the field. And I was fascinated by it. And I wanted to learn as much as I could. And I didn't want to keep it to myself. I wanted everybody else to feel the same way I felt about it. And so all of a sudden now, I'm just in a a position where I just wanted to assist the museum in any way that I could to spread the gospel about this story. And, and of course, then I started to meet the players. And, and now I'm falling even deeper in love with this story because the player's spirits, man, were just so amazing. And, of course, as you know, one particular player, my dear friend, the late great Buck O'Neill. And they wrote a piece on MLB.com that was released yesterday, written by my friend Bill Latson, who I had told him, I said, you know, once you're bitten by the buck bug, it's a wrap. You just wanted to be on Buck's team it was infectious. And uh, and so now I'm falling even deeper in love with this. And I had no idea that I was walking into what would become my passion. And I think when you understand the scope of this story, you do want people to, to really embrace what this is all about. And it is more than something that just happened yesteryear. I think the life lessons that stem from this story are just as pertinent and profound today as they were when this history was being made, you know, decades ago. And and that's the piece that excites us, particularly as a cultural institution, as a museum, the challenge of making this history relevant. What Sirius XM Radio has done is provide me with a national platform to help continue to establish relevancy as it relates to this story and people are being drawn to it. But as I remind people all the time, Farzad, what's not to love about this story? This story embodies the American spirit, unlike any story I believe in the annals of American history. And so it is essentially everything we pride ourselves about being American because it's about pride and passion, perseverance, determination, Courage, yeah, and it's all wrapped up inside this incredible story of these strong-willed individuals who just needed a forum to play ball. That's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to play ball. They didn't know they were making history. They didn't care about making history. They just wanted to play ball. But again, all of those things we just talked about, pride, passion, perseverance, determination, courage helped them pursue the game that they love, to the point that they would not only change the game, but ultimately change our country for the better. And, and all of that comes to life here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so for me to be a steward of this story and to do everything in my power to keep the legacy and the great work that Buck O'Neill, the foundation that he had laid to build this museum going, it motivates me every single day. Now I'm self-motivated, but I'd be lying to you if I told you that I wanted to do this as much for Buck as I did for any, for myself personally, but also as a representative for the 3000 plus players who called the Negro leagues home, they should never be forgotten. They really shouldn't. And that's our job is to make sure that they are not forgotten, but also the fact that what they gave us can be used as a tool of hope and inspiration for future generations.
0: You mentioned Buck O'Neill a couple of times. I was going to ask this later, but I figured now would be a great time to ask. I mean, What was your reaction when you found out that uh, he's uh, finally going into the Hall of Fame?
1: Oh man, it was jubilation, elation. There, as you could well imagine, was some extremely nervous moments leading up to the announcement on Sunday, December the 5th. And uh, we had a watch party here at the museum. And we had, I don't know, close to 300 plus people that had gathered here. And we're all anxiously awaiting the announcement, which as you know, was being broadcast live on major league baseball network and so major league baseball network had set me up so i'm going to go live with them if any negro leaguers were to get in and i'm saying to myself now i don't know how i'm going to be able to conduct an interview if my guy doesn't get in i'm going to have to be here and and try to be strong enough to talk about the other individuals that may have gotten in when my guy didn't get in, I'm like, can you do this? And so I'm, I'm all prepared and, you know, we're all anxious. And the minute that Josh Rod, which over at the National Baseball Hall of Fame, started to read the bio, we knew, and the room <laughs> erupted into a thunderous ovation. And, and honestly, I felt like the weight of the world had been lifted from my shoulders and I could finally exhale. And at that point in time, I became overcome with emotions because now I'm going back 15 years later when the verdict didn't go our way, when I had to walk in the conference room adjacent to my office and tell my friend, Buck O'Neill, that he didn't get enough votes to get in when honestly, I think in his heart, he thought he was in. And I had to go break the news. And it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in either my personal or professional life was to deliver that news to Buck. Now who handled it better than anyone? Buck did. Yeah. And so now I'm remembering and reflecting. And and of course it's bittersweet from the standpoint that we wish he was here to celebrate with us or so that we could celebrate with him. It doesn't diminish the accomplishment and it certainly doesn't diminish the potential impact that it will have on his organization But all of that is cascading back to me, and the tears just started to flow. But unlike in 2006, they were tears of anguish. This time, they were tears of joy. Yeah, and now we finally get to celebrate Buck O'Neill taking his rightful place amongst the immortals of this game at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I, I can't wait till Sunday, July 24th when it becomes official.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you're counting on the days, and, and and as are a lot of baseball fans here in Kansas City. Um, you know, and as someone from not originally from the United States, you know, my family and I coming from Iran, you know, I, I wasn't too familiar with the stuff. That's one reason why I appreciate the museum and the podcast and uh, learning the backstory about Buck O'Neill. You know, everyone in Kansas City is happy about that, so it's always great learning about all of that. Uh, I, I've got to ask, uh, you know, obviously the Kansas City T-Bones. Uh, one of the minor league teams here in Kansas City. Well, they're no longer the T-Bones. They changed their name (laughs) now to the Monarchs. I've got to ask, what do you think of that?
1: We were super excited. We are super excited, and the initial success that the ball club has had lends for even greater excitement. But when uh, Mark Brandmeier, who owns – who honestly I didn't even know had bought the former Kansas City T-Bones. So when he approached me about the notion – Of naming the T-Bones, the Monarchs, initially I wasn't enthralled with the idea. Because, you know, the Monarchs is our flagship brand. That's our baby. It is a symbol of greatness and winning spirit. And so I wasn't exactly enamored with the idea. But then the more that I had a chance to talk to Mark and then eventually our board, who were going to be involved in ultimately working out the details of a potential partnership, got to spend time with Mark and his team, privet to their business plan. But the key thing for me, and I think this is when light bulb came on, you know, I talked about this earlier as a museum, a history museum in particular and a cultural institution. It is so vitally important that you find ways to keep this history relevant. And it dawned on me that every time these young kids, and these are kids in independent baseball now, many of them are coming because the minor leagues have been kind of cut down considerably. So these are a lot of kids who are coming from those uh, affiliate minor league teams to play independent baseball. So they still have hopes of getting to the show. And every time, for far as in one of these kids puts on those Monarch pinstripes, they're channeling the spirit of Buck O'Neill and Satchel Paige, and Willard Brown, and Hilton Smith. Yeah, and all of a sudden, those players come to life again. And now there's even more interest in maybe wanting to learn about the history of the Kansas City Monarchs, and then wanting to learn about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so all of this alongside the partnership opportunity, and that's what I remind people, this is not a charitable kind of connection. This is a business partnership that is orchestrated between the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and now the Kansas City Monarchs. And and so there are some business aspects to this that will create perpetual revenue for this museum for years to come. And I think any museum would look at those opportunities as very much wanted opportunities. And, And so that alongside the opportunity to create relevancy to extend this museum to Western Wyandotte County as a possibility of drawing more fans to come in from that part of our city into the museum. They're gonna be a moving billboard for us as they're going into other cities and and building that brand recognition, not only for the ball club, but for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as well. And so there were so many winning propositions associated with this that it, it only made sense and I am thrilled with the direction that the partnership has already gone for them to win the American Association Championship in their flagship season. Because of the, well, the one thing that I told them was that, uh, look, if you're going to be called a Kansas City Monarchs, you've got to win. Yeah, no, no, you can't be losing wearing the Monarch uniform. Oh, I'm going to take my uniform back, take my name back. And they did just that. And the winning spirit of the Monarchs is still very much alive, you know. And so, but it, it, it opens the door for even heightened possibilities as we now get ready for season two of Monarchs baseball. But you know how cool it is every night when folks are going to the ballpark and the PA announcer says, now here's your Kansas City Monarchs.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's
1: a reign reborn, literally. And we don't want people to, to forget what the Monarchs meant to this community, or as they would say, the greatness of the Monarchs lies in the fact that they were the talk of the town all over the world. (laughs) You know,
0: one of my favorite traditions that the Royals do uh, once a year uh, is they dress up as the Monarchs. In fact, even on the scoreboard, they actually uh, change it from Royals to Monarchs. In fact, I remember there was a game uh, after they did that, uh, doing it once a year, the day after, they forgot to change it back. So for one inning, it was still left on Monarch. So they forgot <laughs> to change it in the system. So I, I do remember that it was pretty cool to see. Uh, Speaking of the Royals, um, through uh, the generosity of Royals charities uh, throughout the, the month of February, because of Black History Month, uh, admission has been free uh, for the Niagara League's Baseball Museum, uh, which is going to be ending pretty soon. But even then, um, the price of admission is still worth it, just to go there. Can you oh, just talk really about... Can you just talk about uh, that opportunity through Royals Charities and wh- what, what's that meant for the community and the reactions and the amount of uh, people that have come in uh, this month?
1: Well, it's meant a great deal to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum that our partner, the Kansas City Royals and Royals Charities, essentially bought the museum for the entire month of February, making it free of charge to any and everyone who wanted to come and experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum we've had people coming in from St. Louis and other places around the region to take advantage specifically of this offer. Others have stumbled into the offer and what a generous gesture it has been. But I think it speaks to the fact that number one, we have a tremendous partnership with the Royals. Number two, they embrace what this museum represents and how important this museum really is, not from just the standpoint of it being this great baseball museum, but it being a civil rights museum, a social justice museum. And I'm even more excited that scores of people have been taking advantage of this unprecedented opportunity. This is the first time ever a partner has essentially bought the museum out and just said, come one, come all, to experience this museum. And it's been amazing, man. And I I can't thank my friends over at the Kansas City Royals and Royals Charities enough, again, for this very generous gesture that they made. And like I said, I am just over the moon happy that so many people have taken advantage of this offer. We got a few more days left in it. My dear friend, Big John Mayberry, will be here on Saturday signing autographs. Oh, there you go. Yeah, signing autographs here for those in attendance from one to two. So if you're going to be in the neighborhood, stop by and see Big Johnny, one of my favorite Kansas City Royals, one of the funniest guys in baseball. Uh, And so we're excited about that. But again, it just speaks volume to the Royals embracing of, of this institution.
0: I know you mentioned on your podcast the museum was shut down a couple of months, as were a lot of businesses, because of the pandemic. I, I got to imagine, you know, as soon as you guys opened back up, that was one of the most exciting days for you, because I know how important that museum is to you and how passionate you are. So that must have been one of the uh, better days for you in 2020 to open that, those, those doors Yeah, back up.
1: because, you know, 2020 was supposed to be a mega year for the yeah. museum, 100th anniversary of the birth of the Negro Leagues. And so we had all yeah. these grandiose plans year-long celebration uh, to help raise the profile and raise awareness and money for the museum, you know, to commemorate what we thought was one of the most meaningful milestone anniversaries. We thought the 100th anniversary of the birth of the Negro Leagues is one of the most significant things, not just baseball history, but in American history. And we were prepared for this year-long celebration, which we started off in February, I mean, on a high note. Major League Baseball and the Players Association, they announced a joint $1 million contribution to the museum. And we roll out our plans for a year-long celebration, including what was going to be the first ever national day of recognition for the Negro Leagues. First time all 30 Major League teams on one given day were all going to celebrate the Negro Leagues. Now, you, as you mentioned, the Royals have done a Negro League salute. Our friends in Detroit, Pittsburgh, and other places have always done their own salute. This wasn't going to usurp that, but it was going to be first time of of complete solidarity that all the clubs were going to honor the Negro leagues. And then we were going to schedule and plan a tip your cap kind of celebration and ceremony in stadium with fans and players. Well, as you know, in our sport, there's nothing more honorable that a ball player can do than just a simple tip of the cap. It is the ultimate show of respect and acknowledgement. And and they were all going to pay honor to the Negro Leagues just by tipping their cap. Well, that was going to happen on June 26th of 2020. Well, as you mentioned, March 14th of 2020, we had to shut the museum down. And we had to shut it down for three months because of a coronavirus. I still don't know what a coronavirus is. All I know is that it wreaked havoc And all of our plans were falling by the wayside. And we reopened the museum on June 16th. Again, this this event was supposed to take place June 26th. If you recall back in June of 2020, Major League Baseball and the Players Association were in intense negotiations on if they were going to bring our game back, no less when. And so it was very clear that it wasn't gonna happen in June of 2020. And that's when we went to work and came up with the idea of doing a virtual tip your cap to the Negro League. And and this was just one of the ways in which we were hoping that we may be able to salvage some of this anniversary. You had no idea if this was going to work or not. And when we rolled a campaign out on July 27th, uh, with the help of my good friend, my brother, Joe Posnansky, the great writer, and and his business partner, Dan again. We rolled it out with four US presidents tipping their cap. President Obama, President Clinton, President George W. Bush, President Jimmy Carter, the late great General Colin Powell, transcending athletes like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Billie Jean King, my friend Bob Costas, Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien. The list just went on and on of celebrities and other notables who bought into this idea of either taking a video or a photograph of themselves tipping their cap and posting it at a landing page that we created called tippingyourcap.com. And this thing went viral. And, 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 And when we literally went into outer space and got a tip of the cap from astronaut Chris Cassidy, who was aboard the International Space Station, we knew then that we had done something special And all of a sudden, this feeling of doom and gloom that had had kind of swirled over us when this virus first hit turned into renewed hope and optimism. And we were able to kind of turn the tables on what we thought was going to just destroy this big year. And we ended up having a great year. We've been riding that momentum ever since.
0: That's awesome. That is really great to hear you guys finding ways to take advantage of it. Some people have. And, you know, it's been a struggle, but it's great to hear stories like that. You guys have found a way around uh, that kind of situation.
1: It's about about resiliency. Yes. And, and, And I knew that somehow, some way, we needed to embody the resilient spirit that governed the Negro League. Now, I can tell you, when all of this went down, I wasn't feeling too doggone resilient. You know, I was not, you know, we were all kind of woe is mine when you know you're not allowed to be woe is mine because the Negro Leagues never cried about the social injustice. They went out and did something about it. You won't let me play with you. I create my own. And so, you know, you can't wallow in self-pity, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't doing a little bit of wallowing. And then at some point you summon up that resilient spirit and you just try to figure out a way to make a way when there seemingly is no way. And we were able to do that. We saw our fortunes reverse and we've been riding this wave ever since. You know, we know we're not out of the woods yet. This old virus is still lingering, but people are starting to come back to the museum uh, in Groves again. And we're optimistic about some of the plans uh, for events again this year. And of course, two Buck O'Neill Hall of Fame celebrations, one in Cooperstown in July and one back here in Kansas City in November. And so, you know, hopefully we can just continue to build on some of the great work that we've been doing now over the last two years, you know, overcoming and dealing with these issues, a uh, health scare, the nature of this pandemic.
0: Bob, before you go, uh, I wanted to go back to Black Diamonds. You mentioned season two is going to be starting back up in, uh, in April. Uh, can you give us a little preview of what uh, people can expect
1: uh, from the podcast? Well, a lot of it will look at this year's 75th anniversary of the breaking of the color barrier. And we are already in the midst of preparing a brand new traveling exhibition called Barrier Breakers. And the Barrier Breaker exhibit will chronicle all of the players who broke their respective major league team color barriers. Most of them were former Negro League stars. So we know the story of Jackie relatively intimately. And if you don't know the story of Jackie Robinson, you've got a place that you can turn and get that story. But just as Jackie Robinson was our Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, Larry Doby was our Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, Larry Doby would integrate the American League just weeks after Jackie, and he was almost a forgotten man. Just as Buzz Aldrin was the second man to walk on the moon, and nobody seems to remember poor Buzz. And so it took 12 years before every major league team had at at least one black player with the Boston Red Sox being the last to integrate in 1959 when they signed a guy by the name of Pumsa Green. And so we'll start to examine some of those other integration pioneers, like I said, many of them from the Negro Leagues, and tell those stories. But we've got stories that we're going to talk about, the great two-way athletes of the Negro Leagues, in particular one guy named Leon Day. Leon Day was the last Negro Leaguer who was alive when he was voted into the Hall of Fame. Now, he died six days later in a Baltimore hospital, but at least he knew he was going in. Leon Day is one of the most extraordinary two-way players this game has ever seen. Yeah, last year we talked about the two-way antics of the the great bullet Joe Rogan. We'll talk to Geraldine Day, his widow, about what she recalls him remembering the day he got the word that he was going into the Hall of Fame. And unfortunately, he dies six days later, and he didn't get to the induction ceremony, but at least he knew he was going in. Leon Day was part of the invasion of Normandy. Yeah, Leon Day and Willet Brown, two Negro Leaguers who were part of the invasion of Normandy during World War II. They helped the Armed Forces baseball team win the championship during World War II. Leon Day was an extraordinary baseball player who, when he wasn't pitching, played every position except really for catcher. And Buck O'Neill said to the day he died that Leon Day was a better center fielder than he was pitcher, and he's in the Hall of Fame as a pitcher. Or as Monty Irvin said, if you saw Bob Gibson pitch, you saw Leon Day. said Gibby didn't have nothing on Leon Day. And so we'll introduce Leon Day and We'll talk about the connection between the Negro Leagues and basketball. There's some great stories there of guys who are just extraordinary athletes who, had they not been playing in the Negro Leagues, they would have made their living playing professional basketball. Many of them did by way of playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. And so we'll talk about that. So we've got some fun things teed up this year. We'll talk about J.O. Wilkinson the only white owner of the original eight Negro league franchise. He owned the Kansas city Monarchs and how this diminutive white man from Algona, Iowa became one of the biggest figures in black baseball history. So we got some stuff on tap for year two. So I hope everybody will subscribe to black diamonds. Um, Man, it's, it's been amazing. Like I said, to see the interest in the podcast, Like I said, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It was a lot of work, but we're finding time to do it in between meetings and this kind of thing. On the road, when I'm trying to hit the golf ball, I got my microphone and my my computer with me. And so we'll find time in between bad swings or whatever we need to do to record these episodes as long as people seem to have an interest in them.
0: That is awesome. Uh, certainly looking forward to that uh, this upcoming season. I still got to finish the first season, so I got to get through all of that before I can uh, listen to the uh, season two <laughs> episodes. Uh, if you want to listen to the Black Diamonds podcast, it is available on SiriusXM as well as other podcasting platform- platforms. Like I said, SiriusXM does a fantastic job with their uh, podcast, well, not, not just sports, but in do. general. And,
1: and, and my my team, they are just amazing. From yeah. Donio Samuels, who adds in some voice voiceover material in there to the production work, the production value that goes into this, it, it it far exceeded anything that I could have even imagined, you know, but like I said, I had no idea anyway. So whatever we got would have far exceeded anything that I would have imagined, but it's been amazing. <laughs>
0: uh, if you guys also want to check out the museum, uh, it is at 18th and Vine in Kansas City. Bob, uh again, thank you so much for everything you do uh in your storytelling, telling uh, all these stories about the Negro Leagues. I think it's very important to know. Uh, obviously being in Kansas City, you know, very lucky to be in the same city where the uh, Hall of Fame is. So I hope people in Kansas City or p- those nearby or anyone who visits takes advantage of that uh as well as the uh, podcast. Uh, Bob, thank you so much again. Uh if you got anything going on, uh, I'd love to reconnect and uh, talk about that uh, here on the podcast in the future.
1: Yeah, well, we'll have a whole lot of things going on this year. So I'm definitely looking forward to reconnecting and getting back on with you again. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Awesome. Take care, Bob. Thank you so much. All right. right. See ya. All right. Bye. All right. That is Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, also the host of the Black Diamonds podcast. Uh, Check it out. It's awesome. Really uh, great uh, storytelling for our history. So definitely something uh, everyone should check out. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of FarceCast. I am Farzine Basugian. Two episodes of FarceCast this week. So I hope you guys enjoyed both of those. Other than that, I will talk to you guys next week. Take care.